Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are continuing our read-through of Catching Fire, looking at chapters 9 and 10. Chris, can you give us a recap of what happens? Katniss wakes next to Gale to see Peeta bringing bread and a sad expression. (laughs) How sad. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, continue. Then she goes to get some real sleep and has a nightmare about Clove's mutation. She then takes stock about what it means that she's decided to fight against the capital. It takes a few days for the blizzard outside to settle, and then Katniss, Peeta, and Hamish discuss what to do next, with Hamish laughing at the idea of starting an uprising. They discover that the town square has been militarized and the hob has been burned down, and in the coming weeks, conditions in the district deeply worsen. When wedding dresses arrive, Katniss braves the wilderness for the first time in weeks to get away from them, and finds two people in peacekeepers' uniforms at the cabin by the lake. They introduce themselves as Bonnie and Twill, two runaways from District 8 heading for District 13. They tell her about the uprising and the violent backlash in District 8, and the limited information that hints that District 13 might have survived. Katniss teaches them some survival skills and leaves them some food, then thinks about the Mockingjay symbol and Snow's intentions so hard that she almost misses that the electric fence has become charged while she's been out. Zing. That's the sound of an electric fence. It zings. It, it, like, burns people. Zing. Mm Mm-hmm. Zing. That's a zing. (laughs) So that's our new tagline. Keep between the lines. That's a zing. Uh, No, no, I didn't agree to that. (laughs) Well, why don't we go into our striking moments? What are some things that have stood out to you this read-through in these chapters? The first one was a line that really stuck out to me as one of the theses of this book series. When Katniss thinks, I really can't think about kissing when I've got a rebellion to incite. (laughs) So true. (laughs) I love it. Because... Even though at times the narrative and certainly our society tries to make this a love triangle type of story, that's not what this story is. Mm -hmm. This story is about rebellion. It is about planning an uprising or participating in that and and resisting. And And uh, the aftermath of that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that just, that line was very insightful for me. (laughs) Chef's kiss. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But an interesting thing happened while I was reading through Katniss's conversation with Bonnie and Twill, because for the first time, I realized that in her writing, Collins distinguishes between when the districts are being talked about in speech, characters' dialogue, and when it's narration. In narration, the numbers are just the numbers, one, three. But if people are talking, it would actually spell out 13, T-H-R-I-T-E-N. I didn't notice that. I started kind of flipping back and forth, seeing how, at least for the pages around that, that remained true. When a character was talking, it would be spelled out. But when it was just Katniss's thoughts, it wouldn't. Hmm. I'm not exactly sure what the intention is behind that, but it became a striking moment for me because it made me realize how rarely multiple districts are being talked about at the same time. Mm-hmm. where at that point they're talking about District 6, District 8, District 13, District 12. And it just kind of, yeah, it was an interesting moment for me to not only think, oh, there's clearly a choice behind this, and it could just be for distinctions' sake, but the way that it's 
not something I noticed at all because of how isolated the districts are from one another, how rarely those kinds of conversations happen in the books, at least up to this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really interesting. I- I'm very curious on the reasoning for Collins mm-hmm. of why she chose to do that. My first thought is personalization. Mm. Giving something more letters almost is like showing there's more there Mm. than just a cold, hard, numerical form of something. Uh, I I have absolutely no idea if that has any (laughs) rings true in any way, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, and it's a fair reading where whether that was the intention or not, it definitely makes it so that Maybe you could read into Katniss's tone of the narration as being that kind of cold, strategic thinking that you've talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you literally don't know anything about another district besides what their industry is, I mean, even any depictions you've seen in the games themselves, leading up to it, it's all very constructed. Mm-hmm. And even how things are edited it's all very constructed and so yeah yeah, you you really don't know hardly anything about any other district or people there culture or anything totally yeah yeah Hmm. now well my last striking moment was when Katniss, Peeta, and Haymitch had their talk and obviously Gail was still healing at that time but the fact that they didn't even think we need to wait until Gail's here or find a way where Gail can be a part of this or or I'll report back to Gail or anything like that really kind of highlighted how even though Gail is one of Katniss's allies in this uprising that she wants to plan, he's not a part of their team. There are still conversations that will need to be had between Katniss, Peeta, and Hamish that Gail just can't be a part of or shouldn't be a part of or won't be a part of. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Anything that happens affects them differently than it affects everyone else that lives in District 12. Yeah. For better or worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they all have uniquely similar experiences and powers that they can use because of their status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah, but what were your striking moments? Yeah, something that I was just noticing and appreciating is just how much insight and wisdom I think Katniss shows in these chapters. One quote from these chapters is Katniss thinking about the rebellion and thinking about the terrible retribution that could happen. Mm. And, you know, just one thought of her sister makes her resolve crumble, right? And, And the quote was, and then it hits me, They've killed her father in those wretched mines. They've sat by and watched her almost starve to death. They've chosen her as a tribute and then made her watch her sister fight to the death in the games. And just how quickly she's able to change that perspective and realize that because I feel like oftentimes people it's so specific the the circumstances they're thinking about and the individuals rather than the bigger picture of Mm. seeing how like no already some of the worst things have already happened to this person that I love because of this system of oppression that is continuing to do this and not just her but to everyone in the districts of Penem and yeah for her to just be able to so quickly understand that is impressive and also her thinking about leading a rebellion and thinking to herself I don't think I'm that person to lead this 
yeah, that shows wisdom to know her own limitations. And I think she can be the spark. But when we're thinking about leading, you know, she doesn't have them so much experience as someone like Hamish does or anyone who's not 16, mm -hmm. you know, and nothing about any of it being about ego, about, oh, well, I have to do this because if I don't do this, then no one will, you know, mm -hmm. she, she has enough wisdom to know and to realize that she can do things that can help the rebellion and she can make choices that will have consequences but she's not the only person who can make these choices to help spur things on yeah yeah that whole section is i think one of the most crucial parts of katniss's journey mm -hmm. where she starts to challenge her perspectives and challenge the protective nature that has been ingrained in her because she's had to be a provider. She's had to be a protector for her family and challenging those things that are so ingrained in you are so difficult, but she's able to change her paradigm and see where she fits in a proactive resistance in a way that is just really, really important. And, you know, it's, it's one of the great examples of scenes where character development occurs and plot occurs when Katniss is alone and not when she's interacting with enemies or allies or anyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great moment of her thinking and then making choices for her own agency. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Another thing about the rebellions that stuck out to me again, particularly after having watched the first movie mm -hmm. recently which our patrons already have access to <laughs> yes <laughs> our discussion about that yeah um it was just like thinking about how organized and strategic the rebels in district eight were mm -hmm. they were spending months getting two peacekeeper uniforms yeah piece by piece because they knew that they had to get the word out because if they didn't get the word out to other districts do it now like you're gonna rebel rebel now like yeah. this is the time you know the the revolution just wouldn't be successful because they know that they're just one small piece in this whole machine of panem yeah, I just really appreciate it. It's, it's not just this angry spur of the moment that we see in movie one, because that's not how any successful revolutions are able to, <laughs> to make change. Like, it has to be thought through. It has to be very intentional. It has to be strategic. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I appreciated that we got to see that for, from Katniss's conversation with Bonnie and Twill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that choice for them to have someone leave the district to spread this information, it reminds me of the maxim, the revolution will not be televised, which I would love to, to know the history of, but I've heard many times. Hmm. And essentially it's saying, yeah, the oppressors are not going to be showcasing your revolution. Mm -hmm. It's up to you to share that information, to get new allies to change people's minds because it's not something that's going to that you're going to have the tools of the state or those in power to use yeah 
I mean, they will never do anything that can help you mm-hmm. and, and your fight and your cause. Yeah, exactly. And the last little thing that stuck out to me was just a little line when they get to the town square and they see all of the changes that have happened mm-hmm. while the blizzard was happening and everything. And it was just phrased about the peacekeepers. It said, occupy nests of machine guns. Mm-hmm. And just the word nests in there really stuck out to me as just I don't know. I'm just always impressed with Colin's writing that she's able to get into the headspace of somebody who is not always familiar with all of these things, who is not constantly surrounded by these things and the language and everything, that this is a way that Katniss contextualizes and relates things. She relates it to what she's around the most, which is nature and animals and nests and things like that. I love your reading of that because that didn't come up to me because that's how the terminology that's used in like video games. (laughs) I'm sure. Um, And so I wonder if that is a militarized word. I think that that's definitely how Katniss thinks about it. It It's the way that you brought it up of Mm. her tying it into nature. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things, even when we were talking in the first book at the very beginning, Katniss thinking about the velvet on Mm -hmm. the cushions. It's, it's a really important skill for authors to not just have the person that they're writing know all the same things that they do yeah um, and be familiar with all the same things and so yeah that was it just stuck out to me as that yeah great point thanks chris you're welcome Brittany. (laughs) so why don't we move into our from another point of view section and this is where we're looking at a scene or two of a character and their perspective other than Katniss. Yeah, so I, of course, have to talk about PETA. What? You? Because Katniss mentions that PETA has likely stayed up all night baking bread to help Gail. Oh, PETA. Oh, PETA. And to help all of them. Yeah, to to be of help. Mm -hmm. And that he has probably been watching Katniss sleep, holding hands with Gail. He then tells her to go to sleep to get real sleep in a bed and all of this is for gail who is his quote unquote rival you know <laughs> for her for her love or whatever and that's just not how Peta sees this at all Peta is someone who you know i can imagine him being up all night because he's so worried and he knows how much pain katniss is in and how difficult all of this is and he just wants to do whatever he can these small things to be of help yeah it's just i love Peta, i admire Peta, and at times i resonate with Peta, and just the idea of being so preoccupied with the needs of others and wanting to be there for people who are suffering in ways that you can't actually fix yeah it's really profound he's a very giving boy he's absolutely that It makes me think also of, you know, you've been highlighting how Peta himself has likely struggled with depression. Mm -hmm. And here, it really kind of took me aback to think not only like, oh, sweet Peta, but to really try to put myself in his shoes and think about what it would be like to have that much anxiety and worry and pain that he's experiencing that's keeping him up all night that is 
motivating him to do the small things that he can and that he still does that with such grace. He's still able to prioritize what he can do and making sure that Katniss takes care of herself in the ways that she can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder if doing acts of kindness like that, if that's part of his own coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. at least when I've suffered with depression at its height, somebody else actually needing something, someone, me being able to do something for someone else or be there for them has been one of the few things that could kind of break through kind of the weight of of depression. Mm. And so I wonder if that, yeah, that could be a part of it too. Like actually physically making this bread, taking it over to have a small piece of enjoyment that these people who are now stressed and scared and worried and all of that i mean for katniss definitely but not just for katniss for her mom for prim as well mm-hmm. i mean i'm pr- I'm probably hamish because he also checked in on him and stuff too i actually a couple of years ago i took an online course uh, on the science of happiness and well-being that originally was was taught at Yale. And one of the things that I learned from that is that studies have shown that one of the best ways to build happiness into your life is to be of service to others. Mm-hmm. That it does make people feel more fulfilled, more happy with their life. Yeah, it just increases their well-being. And motivation, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's a really, really interesting point that, that this can be something that is, whether conscious or not, something that helps him in some way. I mean, we know that Pete is quite insightful, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's conscious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that I was thinking about at that first scene was just, I've mentioned to you before, Chris, but I don't think I mentioned it on air. When I first read this book... I was listening to Adele's 21 Mm. album, like, a lot. There was just so many songs that I just, like, felt like this is what Pete is feeling during this. And this is definitely one of those moments. But also, on on the flip side, from another point of view, I was thinking about what would Gail have felt waking up and seeing Pete watching over him, Mm. sitting there with him, since... It's pretty clear thus far that Gail's a little more sniffy about Peta than Peta is about Gail. Yeah. <laughs> and like literally just was upset about her not being willing to leave Peta behind if they ran away and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was just wondering what that would be like. And I could just imagine that Gail would just feel like, ugh, why is he such a good person? yeah absolutely he he would take it as a slight that pete is helping (laughs) i mean not that he would think take it as a slight because there's a line that's coming up in some future chapters where he's like it'd be easier if i could just dislike him you know like if he was just bad annoying you know but he's not like gail is sorry (laughs) (laughs) that's not true but yeah it's funny (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i i was kind of wondering if that could be a moment that he started to change Mm. how he felt about Peta, and 
I don't know, maybe ease up on the anger or the jealousy or whatever to some degree. Because, like, you're literally seeing some of the best qualities in this person that, that you really have never interacted with. You've only seen on screen and seen with all of these contrived things. And so, yeah, just I was wondering if that would be a moment that he could actually feel some gratitude towards PETA and um, it changed his perception of him at least to the degree where he can't really be mad at him in the exact same ways. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. But did you have any other from another point of view? The other moment that really got me thinking in this direction was when Hamish mentioned that Effie asked Hamish if he would walk Katniss down the aisle, if he would give her away. Because... This made me really, I think, understand both Effie and Hamish a little bit more Mm. because I could really see Effie seeing this as a momentous ask, thinking that this would be something that Hamish and Katniss would love, that the capital would certainly love, (laughs) and kind of highlighting the romantic aspect of it. Also, I think it highlights The, the romantic aspect. Of a wedding and, oh, and all these I other see. kinds of things. Yeah, <laughs> not like, between them. Like the romance, like, what are you talking the, the, about? Like romantic as what in fan like... fanfics have you been no, reading? No, 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 no. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> romantic in the non-love focused way, yeah, but yeah. the more... Romanticism. Exactly. And I think it also highlights Effie's competence at event planning. That this is one of the first things that she's thinking of is, mm-hmm. okay, we need to actually have these different things put together so that we can put on an amazing event for the people involved and for the capital as a whole. Is, is it a touching thing that she's thinking of them or is it a, a production value thing of oh, Katniss's father isn't alive and so someone's gonna have to fill that role? <laughs> I think it's both. I think it's more the former though in, in my reading of Effie. That's what I would guess too but you never know. Yeah for sure. I mean That could very well have been her first thought, at least. (laughs) (laughs) But I I kind of took a a step because my first reading of Hamish was Hamish just being like a grump who doesn't like doing things and was, in this case, teasing Katniss by saying, you know, he couldn't wait to give her away and, (laughs) and things like that. But, you know, just taking that beat was helpful for me because it made me really dig into this and think, oh, actually... This is a problem because Hamish actually knows the situation and knows that there isn't romance in the situation. This is not a romantic thing in either definition of the word mm-hmm. because this is something that's being forced on Katniss. This is something they're doing to try to survive in a society that is antagonistic and oppressive to them. Mm-hmm. So for Hamish, being asked to participate in this way is just another twist of the knife of what the capital has done to him and now to these other people that he cares about, probably begrudgingly, but does care about, I think. That he's tried to not care about anyone. Yeah, but he does want to help them survive, and so he'll participate in this even though he sees it for what it is. And so, yeah, I think that it was just an interesting moment to even though it's kind of brushed by because this is in the midst of a really important conversation, it's still illustrative of how even though both Effie and Hamish are on Katniss's side, are on her team, they are still so far apart in what their actual central motivations are 
and their understanding of the situation and what it means for them to support Katniss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because you use the words seeing it for what it is. And (laughs) I couldn't even think about people's experiences in this moment. I was just thinking about a father giving a daughter away as a sexist practice. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, now she's going from her father's property to her husband's property. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And so I was just like thinking about that scene as standing out to me because, wow, this is supposed to be, what, at least 200 years in the future, I would think? And I guess I would have (laughs) assumed that these practices would have been laid waste to. Oh, you sweet summer child. I know. Like, it's just... So, so odd for you to be the optimist. (laughs) I know, right? I don't know what I was thinking. But I was also kind of wondering, like, is Effie looking at the districts as old-fashioned and backwards Mm. and so it's like oh and she's trying to cater some things to them and to that image of the districts like is this still a practice in the capital fascinating yeah and then i was also you know like well it's probably that patriarchy is just continuing to have its stranglehold on society you know across the centuries like it has yeah. <laughs> for millennia exactly so uh yes <laughs> <laughs> i mean especially effie she's not married mm-hmm. she's has a pretty high up position yeah she has and, status yeah she has status and she really cares about her career and so i'm like effie what are you hmm Effie? <laughs> You're better than this, Effie. And we don't say that often. <laughs> this one way, Effie. <laughs> what about you? What perspectives were you think were you reading through? Yeah, besides Gail waking up, I was thinking about Bonnie. Mm-hmm. In our previous episode, I had mentioned trying to read people from the districts. To, to think about them in ways as representing people that I am getting similar goods from mm-hmm. um, based off of capitalism and global, global consumerism. Trade. And exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so I was really thinking about Bonnie this time as being of Chinese heritage mm. with her pale skin, brown eyes, and very small frame mm. that shoes are too big on, which... I understand. I was just imagining her hearing Katniss's voice outside the room. Yeah. Taking the idea from the TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, her feeling like glitter was exploding inside (laughs) her and just like hearing Katniss's voice because it's just pure joy and shock and elation for her. She has been looking up to this person. This person has been inspiring to her for months. And I was thinking about maybe as she's on this probably fairly miserable journey to District 13 with all of these worries and anxiety, but also the grief of losing everyone in her family. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of her like distracting herself with, kind of daydreaming about 
what if I did come across Katniss in the woods? Like, mm. we're going to be going past District 12. Even though she didn't think that it would actually happen, but her thinking about, you know, kind of running through what she would say to her role model yeah. and and her inspiration. And then it actually happens and how excited she must have been. And I was imagining her just in pain dragging her injured ankle behind her you know to get to the doorway mm-hmm. because she heard Katniss's voice and she just has to even if it makes her foot worse or, or anything like that and then I was also imagining after Katniss left Bonnie just waiting for a few minutes so she was like a hundred percent positive that she was out of earshot so that she could just exclaim to Twill about how excited she was you know, she got to meet the one and only Katniss Everdeen. Right. And just, yeah, I I was just imagining it being even in the midst of the sorrow and the difficulty of relaying certain information to Katniss, but it's still being like such a place of, of joy and happiness for her when she probably hasn't had much since the whole revolt happened and mm-hmm. everything that went down. Yeah, and and just the disbelief of it. They've probably been alone for weeks and been out in the wilderness and not expected anyone. And and expected that if they were to see someone, it'd probably be someone who'd be dangerous to them more than anything. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, for it to be Katniss is uh, just such an amazing moment for them. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It making such a difference um, and something that Bonnie could hold on to in the days to come. Yeah, yeah. That practice of of reading them as tied to our own ideas of consumerism and and reading her specifically as Chinese, it called to mind for me an amazing book I recently read called Iron Widow, (laughs) because it's a book based off of Chinese history and mythology, and the main character has her feet bound. (laughs) So thinking about Bonnie having pain in her foot and having that limit her her movement definitely made me think back to that book and, and, yeah, how these different kinds of representation can illustrate new thoughts and new connections and new ideas. So I really like that practice that you're doing. Um, this book certainly, I think, is in no way trying to make that connection mm-hmm. because it's such a more complicated one. But if that is something that anyone's interested in, I would so recommend Iron Widow. I, <laughs> I, I honestly think that it's a book that reminds me more of The Hunger Games than anything else. So huge recommendation. But yeah, that, that, that's very interesting. Any other perspectives? No, that was that was the last one that I was thinking of. So when we move into our touch points, these are things that we are seeing happening in these chapters that we see parallels to in our own world and society. What do you have? Well, this ties to something that you you already mentioned about Katniss realizing how much the capital has already taken away from people like Prim and Rue. Mm -hmm. And that being a kind of call to action for her, that an uprising is a good idea because even though it invites more violence, the world they live in is already violent against them. Mm -hmm. That really came to me as a reminder of how activists, and more radical activists in particular, have used similar arguments to justify the destruction of property, or mm-hmm. even violent methods of protection during protests. And it really highlighted how much Collins is great at using the term uprising. Mm-hmm. Because in our society, 
That term, I think, is a really important one because it helps to reframe many of the uprisings, many of the sometimes violent but powerful community responses to oppression that we've seen in our society that are so often referred to as riots. And so if you look at, for example, here in Los Angeles, the Watts riots of the 1960s should be referred to as the Watts uprising. The Rodney King riots of the 1992 should be referred to as an uprising. And typically, scholars and people who were involved in those do use that terminology because they were intentional about this not being a destructive act for the sake of destruction, for the sake of violence, for the sake of anything, but instead it being a way of showing resistance to an entire system that has led to the devaluation of, in these cases, black bodies, but of their community. And a riot is such a loaded term as a way to invalidate those aspects of these movements that they are a way of saying that rioters were involved in this, people who were interested in violence, in looting, in, ex in things like that, rather than this being a political act, rather than this being an act that is a response to true oppression, an act that is premeditated and is intentional. And so, yeah, I just, I really appreciate Collins's use of the term uprising. Mm -hmm. And that was something that, that really spoke to me during that scene of Katniss thinking through what it means to be a part of an uprising. Yeah, that's, that is really interesting. And I haven't looked into at all how specific communities think about terms like riots. Mm -hmm. I mean, not counting the, the privileged communities. I, right. I, I the I news know. media. Pretty <laughs> yeah, clear. I think I know. But I know at least... I'm not sure how long of the history goes back, but, you know, I've seen a lot of talking about Stonewall riots. Mm -hmm. It's like they were riots, like queer people using that as a term of pride, um, which is interesting, but I don't know if that extends outside of the queer community. Yeah, that's something that actually when I was teaching about Stonewall this semester, I wasn't sure which term to use mm -hmm. because so often queer sources refer to it as riots. Mm -hmm. uh, though I often do see uprising used for that as well. Absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I, I thought it best to have that discussion with my students and actually kind of talk through that because what do those terms denote and how can we read that responsibly? Yeah. How can riots be a term of power um, mm -hmm. rather than a dismissive term? Absolutely. Yes, and obviously there's always a lot of nuance between if you're inside the community, if you're outside the mm -hmm. community, and who's choosing to use what words when, and yes, it, it, it gets quite complicated, but definitely very interesting. Yeah. The other side of that coin was another touch point I had, which is about the peacekeepers. How we see in this chapter how thousands of peacekeepers are brought into District 8, and how Katniss sees a sea of peacekeepers and military technology, and she doesn't recognize any of these peacekeepers. They are people who came into District 12 from outside of it. It really made me think a lot, frankly, about not only that experience for those peacekeepers, but in particular about how in the last 100 years, the idea of a standing army has been such a core element of certainly American foreign policy. 
uh, as well as other countries, but, you know, nowhere near as much as America. Yeah. And that here in the United States, we have a military larger than the 14 next largest militaries Mm -hmm. combined. And that doesn't even include our police force, which is also larger than most other large nations' Mm -hmm. military. Yeah. And, I, and yeah, and I was even going to say our military alliances, like NATO, becomes <laughs> even astronomically more so. Yes, this is true. And so, you know, there are reasons for that. And most of the time that military goes unused. We are kind of getting out of the two wars that we've been in for the last 20 years. But yeah. at the same time, it wasn't like the 10 years before 9-11 there weren't massive military presence around the world mm. by the U.S. Yeah, it just made me start thinking about how the Capitol clearly has a standing army of peacekeepers that most of the time isn't doing much, but is so easily able to be called upon at these time periods to be a show of force, to further police and further disrupt societies. That that in of itself is showing how the threat of violence is so crucial to the maintenance of hierarchy and control. Yeah. And yeah, how the United States is 100% doing that. How we utilize the threat of our military in so much of the ways that we engage with other countries and engage with other peoples. And we have shown that we will use that military. It's not an empty threat, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, But the threat itself is still, I think, an act of violence, an act of intimidation um, that is not a just or equal or peaceful way of engaging in diplomacy, but is so central to when you're the superpower, how you maintain that. Yeah, and imagine these thousands of peacekeepers leaving. Mm-hmm. What damage would they have done to the infrastructure, the businesses, you know, everything. The Absolutely. resources they've used up and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's I 100% care about all of the injustices happening in this country, mm-hmm. for sure. At the same time... There's always been a special place of rage for me when it comes to the United States military and us invading other places. It's like, we do not belong there. Like, problems in your own home, your own group, your own nation are one thing. But going in and, like, forcing yourselves on others that have no say is just... It just enrages me. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in the Middle East, uh, I was in Egypt, and I remember this Egyptian man I was talking to telling me, when you're voting for your president, you're voting for all of us. Mm-hmm. We don't have a say, but what the pres- your president decides will affect us. Yeah. It can ruin our lives. And I just, I, I felt so much like from that statement of just like the powerlessness of people who the United States just negatively impacts over and over and over and over again for its own gain, for whatever it wants. And 
they don't have the ballot. They don't have these choices, but they're going to potentially be at the um, whims of American politics and international relations. And so, yeah, I, I feel that here too. Of just like all of these people coming into District 12 who have no context, who haven't had to live there, who haven't, don't have to interact with the people in any way other than with their machine guns, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Rant over. <laughs> <laughs> For now. <laughs> well, did you have anything else that you wanted to bring up to rant about? <laughs> yeah, so something that stood out to me was when all of these different people are being brought in and being whipped and mm-hmm. and punished for things and that people are being punished for offenses that have been so long overlooked that they had forgotten that they were illegal yeah. which i just thought was a great detail yeah very good so that led me to just look up because i know there's a lot of ridiculous laws still on the books mm-hmm. throughout the United States. Oh, these are always fun. Exactly. So, one, in the state of Indiana, you are not permitted to catch a fish with a firearm or with your hands alone. Okay. <laughs> Which I was like, I could kind of see something like that being the case in District 12. Totally. It's like poaching laws and exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. In Maryland, you cannot utter any profanity while near any street, sidewalk, or highway within hearing distance of other persons on that same roadway. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. In Wisconsin, you can face up to six months in jail for selling home-baked cookies. Wow. Yeah. They're coming for the malarks. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I imagine it's people without a license. Probably, yeah. But But like six months in jail. A cookie license. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm sure you have to pay for. (laughs) I've got a license to bake. In Wyoming, you can apparently be fined up to $750 for failing to close a fence behind you. Okay. And so, like, these types of things are ridiculous and probably not enforced very often, Mm -hmm. if at all. But these types of laws can be so used to further disenfranchise people who cannot pay the $750 because they forgot to close the fence, you know? Exactly, yeah. And that's, that's just what I imagine those laws are like. That so many of these laws that haven't been enforced in a really long time in District 12 are ridiculous, out of date, and these things, but they're still on the books and they can be enforced at any point um, Mm -hmm. to the detriment of, obviously, the people who are most vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I was thinking about how District 8's lockdown they didn't have food or heating. Mm-hmm. And thinking about how so many people were like complaining so much for COVID lockdown when that was not the case. Just comparing, just just comparing things. Yeah, yeah. How, <laughs> how all of our freedoms were stolen from us, you mean. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I meant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another thing I was thinking about was all of the kids signing up for extra tesserae because mm. they even the people who were working in the mines they cut their wages they wouldn't even allow them to open for a couple of weeks and all of these people are just starving and 
of course, the kids signing up for it didn't even always get the grain, yeah. which also is enraging. But I was just thinking about how that really corresponds to our world when parents are unable or won't provide something that their kids actually need then the burden falls to the kids to figure out a way to get by Mm -hmm. and it shouldn't be but it's reality yeah that that also reminds me of company towns which Mm. are towns in which there is one major industry often a mine or a factory and the company often will not only own that industry, but will own the land in the area. And so your housing, you are using the money that you're getting paid for by the company to pay the company to live there. Yeah. And oftentimes they'll also control the markets and the services of that area. And so it becomes a greater way of exploiting people because they have fewer amount of choice where there's so much economic control from this entire setup that the only real way for workers to have any say in their livelihood is to form a union, which they're definitely not doing in District 12. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know if that word exists in the <laughs> language anymore. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that the idea of it I'm sure be... there's a death sentence for using that word. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, and that frankly is, we don't have death sentences, but you can get fired for talking about a union in the United States, the bastion of democracy. Sort of. You're not supposed to be able to, but you will anyway. Yeah, exactly. But (laughs) it's still going to happen. So yeah, it's, I think, uh, another great touch point in the ways that economic control can be just as stifling as military or political control. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that actually kind of leads me into my first wonderment. Okay. What do you have? I really started wondering what the rationale behind the crackdown in District 12 is. Hmm. Where, as you mentioned, wages are cut, hours are increased in the mine. There's all of these ways that just every aspect of their lived experiences is being negatively affected. And I came up with a a few different possibilities for for why that might be the case, but I really still don't know what it could be. You know, there's certainly, I think, punishment makes a lot of sense, uh, sending a message to people like Katniss, frankly. Uh, Also, a way of making it so that people don't try to have an uprising and, and, you know, a warning against that. It also, I think, is tied to cruelty because there has to be a element of cruelty when you are allowing children to starve, when you are being more physically violent and controlling about an entire population, and even just, yeah, putting up these gun embankments as ways of of highlighting the extent to which you can cause violence. But I also started wondering if there were actual limits to capital resources due to the other uprisings if Mm -hmm. that maybe did have something to do with this maybe that they had access to less food because it was harder to transport food when other districts are not producing you know what that means and of course if that's going to be the case they're not going to start rationing in the capital (laughs) absolutely not what about you what were your wonderments i was kind of thinking about Peta and katniss taking care of Hamish with things like checking on him and 
stocking up on extra alcohol and things like that. I was just wondering if that is the way that many mentor-mentee relationships mm. happen in Penem because of this bond that you have with the person who helped save your life in the arena. And not just that, but a person who's one of the only other people who can understand some of what you went through in the arena. So yeah, I was just kind of wondering about relationships between other mentors and mentees and yeah, how positively or negatively those can go based off of their own issues, you know, yeah, that they're dealing with in the aftermath. Yeah. I was also thinking about Twill and if she taught some form of history or geography hmm. because she knew about District 13's population size. Mm. She knew where they were geographically and had some access to information that someone like Katniss doesn't have any access to. And so, yeah, I was wondering if she could be a teacher of those subjects. And, like, if they're going to give a little bit of information to teachers, how do they monitor teachers? How do mm. they keep tabs on what they're doing and if they're dangerous, quote-unquote, you know, and things yeah. like that. Yeah, that's interesting. And my last lingering question is just, like, what districts would the capital be willing to blow up factories in? Hmm. They were willing to for a factory in District 8, but what commodities, what resources would they be willing to sacrifice to make a point, to scare people, and what would they not? Yeah, because that is such a drastic over mm -hmm. response and a costly one so yeah. yeah but why don't we move into our intentions so what are you taking away from these chapters and applying to your own life i was really struck by the moment when katniss gains anger and hatred for district 13 i love that moment so good yeah you know it, it calls to mind the idea of if you're not on the side of justice, you're the oppressor. Mm -hmm. And particularly if you have the power to do something and you don't, then you are also at fault. Not that I want people to be using nuclear weapons, but... For sure. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's, let's avoid like, that, please. But at least contact other districts to be like, if, you know, we can gain enough momentum, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it made me kind of start thinking because we talk a lot about how we are the capital but i think there's also a reading of we as people who are invested in social justice and critical of our government and, and all these other kinds of elements we are district 13 in a way too because mm. we have more power to fight poverty and military actions and, and all these other kinds of things that our country and corporations and other other actors create around the world and we simply can't do everything about it but there's always more that could be done and in particular we could do more that costs us more because district 13 refuses to do it because of the risks involved for them and yeah sometimes i am not as considerate or intentional about my choices because it would cost me time or energy or money. Mm -hmm. So my intention is to 
try to be a little less District 13. <laughs> is and, and to also not lean into the kind of white fragility that we've talked about before, but instead to accept that we're someone who is oppressed by our government or the corporations that I give money to or, or whatever it might be, were they to hate me, that that would be a valid response. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that all I can do is, yeah, try to do more and try to be more intentional in those ways. Absolutely. That's a great insight. I I haven't thought about that before. And like, even going back to the story I was telling about when I was in Egypt yeah. and talking to that man, like any of the times that I was in Egypt, Jordan, Palestine, I was like, oh, you can absolutely hate me. You can absolutely judge me. You can be furious at me. Like, I will not take offense at all because you have every reason to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you? What's your intention? My intention is coming from when Katniss was talking with Bonnie and Will and when they were talking about District 13, Katniss was like, they were graphite miners. But then I hesitate because that's information I got from the Capitol. Mm -hmm. So I have, over the past decade or so, been trying to be more intentional about like thinking about where I've gotten pieces of information that I just think is true because that's what I was taught or or that's what I've heard or whatnot yeah. but um yeah just trying to to analyze those sources of information a little bit more uh trying to be intentional about that yeah very very important get the, get those works cited page <laughs> I know I love works cited pages <laughs> I don't include them in this because <laughs> nobody really would want that <laughs> But yeah, if, I mean, there's if just... you are shaking your head right now and saying that you want that, then you can write us. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> or or maybe check your priorities. <laughs> <laughs> say I say, being knowing that I would be that person. I know. <laughs> hey, you can always ask us where we got the, the something true. we yeah. were talking about yeah. because the things we were talking about really we do either know from classes or things that we've studied, books we've read, research we've done. Um, totally. But yeah. Footnotes are a little difficult <laughs> in a podcast. So. <laughs> okay, well, I think that will wrap up our discussion of these chapters. What's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So we'll be reading chapters 11 and 12 and seeing Katniss and friends enjoy a bag of candy. Mmm. Oh, that's sweet. Get it? Because... I don't. Do you want to explain it to me, Chris? Yeah, so sweet is often used to talk about, like, something that's cute or is nice about relationships, but it can also mean that a food is high in sugar and the taste is sweet. And since they're doing something cute together and they're eating candy, they're using both those definitions. Wow. What insight. <laughs> What wit. You're so clever. Thank you. This is why I do this podcast with you, Chris. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon page in the episode description. And we would love to have you join us so that you can get access to all the fun extra features that we're doing during this read-through. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.